Well, good evening. Good to be here. Yeah, it is good to be here. That's good. That's good. I'm certainly enjoying being back. And uh, it seems like an eternity since I've spoken in an evening service. So um, I'm looking forward to this evening. So this is a message that I have actually brought to the uh, morning service. I've had a rather chaotic week with doing the week of prayer and a few other bits and pieces. So uh, I did cheat and I'm rehashing this one. So if anyone's been to the morning services last week, I'll apologise right now. This is uh, the same message as what I actually did that time. But there's possibly many Psalms that we could actually speak on uh, when we're told to speak about the Psalms. And I think when I was preparing this message originally, um, you know, there's this temptation to do a Psalm that you're actually tied to, something that's actually spoken to you and is meaningful to you. And uh, for me personally, um, that'd be something like Psalm 121, which was very relevant and a particularly difficult time in my life. But uh, when I actually prepared this, I decided that I'd do a psalm that had no significance to me whatsoever. I I wanted to look at something and see what God was actually saying in the midst of that. And so I've come up with Psalm 63. And uh, I was very encouraged by what I learned from this. And I hope you guys are also. But I wonder if we think about why Psalms are actually in Scripture. Why has God included those in what we call his complete holy word, which is the Bible? And for me, I have to tell you, like when I've had difficulty connecting with God, when I've had difficulty praying, I've gone to the Psalms and I've actually prayed the Psalms. And it's just got this way of connecting you with God when you do that, which no other part of the Bible seems to be able to do that for me. And so I found it particularly encouraging there. So they've recentered my focus on God. And there's many things around us that could distract us. But when you dig into the Psalms, that's what it does for me. And so they've given me insight into how I should live before God each and every day. And as we go through Psalms, they teach you the true nature of worship. They teach you about how you should live. It's that day-by-day, moment-by-moment accountability to God, choosing God's way over the world's way, deciding to do what he would have you to do rather than what you yourself desire or what the world would tell you to do. And so, hopefully, with that mindset, the decisions we make will be made with Christ in mind. When we look at the world, we'll look at the world as he looks at the world, not as the world does. So we'll have that Christian worldview and not that of the world. So this evening, my hope is that you will be challenged to live a little closer to God. That's all I hope this evening. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence, your love, your power that you pour out upon us so freely. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that it is a powerful living word. And Lord, our desire is to know you more as a result of looking at this psalm. So Father, will you allow the truth of your word to be revealed? Will you give us open hearts, open minds to hear that? But more than that, Lord, give us that desire to change our lives so we are closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we approach this psalm tonight, Psalm 63, I think it's important to understand a little bit of what's actually going on here and why this psalm was written. So this is written by King David when he's out in the wilderness of Judah. And he's out there because his son Absalom is seeking him to kill him. Who's had that happen? No one. 
Pretty dire situation. And so he's out in this wilderness and, and he's, he's not sure what the outcome is going to be. And, and so David is separated from his people. And realistically, when you look at the Israelite nation, more importantly to being separated from his people, in an actual fact, he's separated from his God. He was told that the way to worship God was to come into the sanctuary, offer his offerings there and worship God. That was where God's presence was. And so David is actually separated from the only way he could worship God, or so we're led to believe. But David knows that it's more than just being in a place, worshipping, honouring, glorifying God. Even in the Old Testament, God's desire was for relationship with his people. It wasn't just to have them come and offer those mindless sacrifices day in, day out. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to commune with them. And so David, in this psalm, is just pouring his heart out as he knows that relationship with God and he can get some of the passion and desire that he has to be closer to God and a sense of the true relationship that he has with his Lord and Saviour, because that's the way he sees God, even in Old Testament times. So first and foremost, I believe we, like David, should have a thirst for God. I think that's clearly expressed in this psalm right from the very beginning, and it's an expression of the commitment that David actually has to God. Look at this first verse that is actually in this psalm. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And this is where the rubber meets the road for David's faith. This is where he gets to live out the declaration of his faith. He's in that wilderness. I don't, who's been to Israel? No one? Oh, yeah, a few people. I don't know about you, but you know, I was there for 14 days of extensive study. Um, I studied Matthew while I was there. And seriously, by about day eight or nine, it was like, oh, great, more rocks and dirt. Similar? Yep, thumbs up. And, you know, when we think of Israel, we think of this incredible land that's just flowing with milk and honey. And that is true, but it's a very small portion of that land. And what they produce there is phenomenal. And it actually blesses that nation. But the most part of it is rocks and dirt. It is just an incredibly barren place. Now, you older people here, you know, when, when we think about those barren things, you remember those wonderful movies from the 60s and 70s? I, I sort of have had people show them to me because I'm not that old. But, you know, they used to depict this very well and you'd have that person crawling through the desert and suddenly there'd be the oasis appear. Remember that? You know, like 40 billion palm trees on the horizon and miraculously they'd arrive there and they'd quench that thirst. That's what David's talking about here. You know, like when you're in the midst of this desert, when you're in the need of Water, you get that headache that starts behind your eyes first and foremost. You young people, like you'd exercise a lot, hey. And you know, when you start to dehydrate, you get, yeah, see, they know when they do exercise. But you know, you start to thirst and you begin to look. Why are you laughing? You don't exercise. Uh, but you know, you get that headache and then you begin to faint, you're getting weary. And the only way to change that is to hydrate, take on water. Good girl. She's drinking, it's great. It's an example. And so that's what David's saying, you know, I thirst for you. I'm in this dry, barren land. I want more of you, God. What I've got's not enough. I desire to know you more. And so as people travel through the wilderness, they're looking for those oases. They're looking for that way of getting moisture. And they travel towards that, even if it's off their path, because they know that if they don't get that fluid, if they don't get that moisture, 
It's not going to end well for them. And this is how David sees that relationship with God. He's separated from the tabernacle, from the sanctuary. But it doesn't stop him longing for God. It doesn't stop him looking for God. It doesn't stop him desiring that time and relationship with God. And think about his circumstances, this son who is set on killing him. And it's not just his son. I mean, it's a whole army that's coming at David. And David doesn't allow his outward circumstances, the things that are happening to him, to affect the relationship and the desire to pursue God. He wants to pursue God first and foremost. And no matter what happens to him, that's not going to change. He's got his eyes firmly on the prize. And he knows the truth of God. He knows he can trust God. He knows the promises that God has made and he will fulfill them. And of course, David's desire would be to be in a better place and to be able to worship God in Jerusalem and everything like that. But he can't do that right now. And so he chooses to focus on what he knows about God. He reflects on his experiences with God. And so, just like David, we can have satisfaction in God yesterday. I know that seems a little bit weird. But you know, often we come to this position in life where there's terrible things happening, just like David. And so we throw our hands up, we wonder what's going on. But if we journal, or if we remember, a lot of the Old Testament, God calls Israel to remember. If we remember what God has done, Remember that first time you gave your life to God? I don't know about you, but the world took on a whole new light for me that night when I first gave my life to Christ. It was an incredible experience, and only God could have done the stuff that he did that night for me. And so when I have those doubts and those moments, I can look back on that moment, which was like, you know, five years ago or something. But, you know, then there's all these other things that God did as well. And I can look at what God has done in my life and go, you know what, even though I don't sense God's presence now, even though I'm not engaged with God as much as I would like to, when I look back on what God has done, was that really God? You know, when God answers prayer for you, do you make a note of that and say, well, this is an incredible thing. Only God could have done that. When you're reading God's word and something jumps out at you and it speaks to you in your current situation, do you make a note of that and say, this is definitely God. It couldn't have happened any other way. So when you come to the difficult times, instead of going, what's happened to God? You can look back and say, wait a tick. If this was God, if this is the way God works, then he was real then. And this is what David's doing. He makes a choice. I mean, seriously, he could whine about the situation that he's in. I reckon he'd be justified to do so. Think about the promise. God said, you will be king. Your throne will be forever. Yeah, right. I'm in the desert. What happened there, God? Throne's gone. Son's chasing him to kill him. And so he's running around like a criminal in the desert, fearing for his life. Who knows what he's eating? Maybe wild locusts or something like that. But he doesn't do that. He thinks about who God is, what God has done, and what God has revealed to David. Look at this couple of verses here. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. And because of that, my lips will praise you. There's something actually lost in translation here. And, and so, so you don't actually get it in the English translation. The original Hebrew that's translated looked upon here um, is not the normal verb for looking at something. And uh, as Elena read the NIV, it, is, it would have said, I have seen you in the sanctuary. 
Who can see God and live? Come on, you know this. No one. So did he actually see God? And the answer is no. And the verb that is used here is a verb that speaks of visions. So David actually had a vision of what God was going to do. And he said, well, this is a movement of God. This is a work of God. And I am going to believe it. And so David is now saying, I have seen that vision and I believe it. I have seen your power and glory. Where have we heard something like that? Remember back in Isaiah? And Isaiah had the vision of God in the temple. And it said that God's throne filled the temple. Sorry, God's robe filled the temple. And so this is a man trying to describe something magnificent. Can, can you understand that it's not just the robe, it's just this is powerful, this is mighty, this is wonderful. And this guy's trying to describe the magnificence, the power and glory of God, but he doesn't have the words to express it. So he uses our words to try and express it, but he still doesn't grasp the full meaning of, of what he's trying to say. But David has seen this vision of God in his power and glory. And he remembers this vision. And David's saying, you know, it's enough. I've seen this vision and that's enough for me, God. You remain all-powerful, almighty, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what is going on in my life. And I will honor and glorify and praise you because of that. You are the almighty God. You are unchanging. And although I long for more, although my present situation, quite frankly, sucks... I'm going to praise you, God, because you are unchanging in the midst of everything else that changes. I will be satisfied. I will be complete in you. And then David says, your steadfast love is better than life. We read over these things and we don't comprehend how incredible that is. If someone was to walk in here with a pistol and hold it against everyone's head and said, give me your wallet. Give me the keys to your car. Give me your house. The majority of people would just give it up. Why? Because we value life. If you go to the doctor tomorrow and the doctor says, you've got this rare disease that's actually chewing through the bone in your arm. The only way we can save your life is to remove your right arm. Guess what? Most people would remove their right arm because we value life. And David says, your love, Lord, is better than life. I would take your love over life any day. And I don't know about you, but I'm not there. I, I, I don't think of God's love like that. I'm not in this stage where it's like, well, Lord, kill me. If it means losing your love, just take me. It's, it's just, your love's better than life, Lord. We read it. We sing it. I'm not sure if we get it. Most of us value that life, eh? Hey? And David says, Lord, it's better than life. And the word translated love here is God's covenant love. It's the promises that God has given. And David is saying, your love can be relied on. If you say it, you're going to do it. And I have no doubt, Lord, your love is constant and true. It is never changing. It's a love that can be depended on, that can never be lost. And it's the same love that Paul speaks of in Romans 
and 39. For I believe that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. David is cut off from that one place. I keep referring back to that, but I think it's important. And right at this stage, it doesn't seem like David's life has got much going for him. He's in the wilderness and that kingdom's gone that God promised him. He's separated from the one place he can call, be called to worship God. But he knows that his life with God is more than all of that. He's willing to let all that go if he can have this relationship with God and spend time with him. God's love is better than life. And because he knows this, because he's seen it, he will praise God regardless of what is going on in his life. His circumstances do not and will not dictate who God is. God remains constant and true. And David chooses to praise God in the midst of an incredibly difficult season. And I think the lesson for us here is, if we found that satisfaction in life that I've spoken about, you know, that first time conversion experience where God's done incredible things, where we've seen God moving and we can look back on that and reflect on that, then just like David, we need to believe that God's going to continue to do the same thing. He remains constant and true. And so, just like David, we can have satisfaction in God today. I stand here before you, I don't know what's going on in your life. God does. And the God we worship is a God who remains constant and true. And he wants so much for you to pour yourself out to him. And here's David fleeing for his life through the desert. Who knows where he sleeps? Who knows what he has in possession at that time? But he's determined to pursue and connect with God. Verses 6 to 8. I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And I don't know about you guys, but I really have trouble relating where David is right now. And perhaps this is why David is called a man after God's own heart. Because I mean, how can we possibly attain the faith that is expressed here? He's in the midst of incredible hardship. He's living rough. And as I said before, who knows where he's sleeping. But he's found something that each and every one of us should pursue. John 4, 13 and 14 is um, the story of the Samaritan woman that's out by the well. And Jesus speaks to her and he says this. He says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And this woman misinterprets what he says. She says, just give me the water. Then I won't have to come back to this well. And she doesn't quite get it. But this is where David's at. He understands what this is. He, he says that his armies, everything that he owned, all the values, valuable things that he had, he's in kingdom and everything like that. He's willing to put it all aside because the living water that he's found in God is worth more than anything else. And he's drunk from that spring that Jesus is offering that woman. You know what, when I look at this, it seems that David's a bit like us. And again, we skip through scripture and we miss some things that are actually there. I don't know about you, but 
When I'm at peace, when I'm calm, I sleep through the night, yeah? David's not. He goes to bed and he remembers God. That's, that's fine. That's, that's pretty normal. But then he meditates on him throughout the watches of the night. There's things that are troubling him. David is woken during the night. But rather than dwell on those problems, he meditates on God. And so here he is in this wilderness with his son pursuing him. It awakes him. It troubles him. Maybe he's concerned for the people that are with him and their safety. But he doesn't allow that to affect him. He focuses on God. He pursues God. And he seeks God in the midst of his difficult situation. He recalls the vision that God had given him. He remembers God's unconditional covenant of love. And because of this love, David seeks God again through the watches of the night. He knows the help that God has provided him. And his soul clings to God. And he's found in the shadow of God's wings. That's a beautiful expression. Anything, anyone that wants to get at you has to first go through God if we're in the shadow of his wings. And that's where David sees himself. His body, mind and soul is kept by God. And David knows it's God who holds his life in his hands. And because he knows it, he's at peace with his situation. And he's able to sing praises to God. And he's more. David knows that this God that he worships today, he can continue to worship into the future. And so he's satisfied with God into the future. And David sees that his major responsibility is to commit his life and future into the hands of God. And I love this verse here in Psalm 63. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. We've all heard that wonderful Christian cliche, haven't we? I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Do you believe it? How many people have had that thrown at them when they're facing difficult situations? Someone said it in a very pious way. Yeah, don't do that, folks. It's not nice. But for most of us, that's exactly what it is. It's just this Christian cliche. It doesn't have any real effect upon us. It doesn't have any real meaning to us. But David, because he's seen this vision, he's living this out. This is his very life. And because he's experienced and known God's unconditional love, he's able to reflect on God and all God has done. And he makes the decision to entrust his future to God, regardless of where I am, regardless of what is happening. I know you go before me, God, and I'm going to trust you. doesn't matter what comes. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give my life to you. I think it's beautiful to note here too. David doesn't say, I will be satisfied with fat and rich food. Do you notice that? He's not talking about getting his kingdom back. He's saying, I'm going to live in a life so satisfied with you, God, and your presence that it will be as if I have fat and rich food. Do you see that? I will be satisfied as with fat and rich food.
and again is entrusting his life regardless of his outward situation and circumstances. And he's going to live in satisfaction with God as if he's dining on the best, as if everything he has is what he formerly had and is actually the best to have. And so he's experienced God in this incredibly powerful way. It's transformed his life to such a way that he no longer has worries or concerns. And in fact, he entrusts to God the outcome of those who have pursued him for his life as well. And I think this is incredibly empowering for us. We don't have to speak against those who come against us. Listen to this. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. And these last three verses bring us back to the reality of God's, uh, David's situation. He's in exile. And it's a rem reminder that if we confess faith in God, it should be in each and every situation. In the midst of danger, frustration and disappointment, we should be able to acknowledge that God and his love have not failed. This is the triumph of our faith. It is a gospel truth that even when we're being hard pressed from every, other, from every side, we should be able to see that God has a reason and a purpose for those things to happen. That in the midst of it all, although our world is falling apart, he has remained constant and true. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is the reality of what David says in this psalm. And he even leaves what happens to his enemies up to God. He knows God will deal with them because God is not only a God of love, but he is a just and righteous God as well. It's with confidence in God that David said his enemies will be overthrown and that those who are lying will be silenced. Wouldn't it be incredible to have that confidence in God? to be able to continually submit our lives to him. And I obviously cannot possibly know what God is saying to you this evening. I cannot possibly know the situations that you are facing. But I think at the very least, what we've heard tonight should give us food for thought. Think about the declaration right at the beginning of this psalm. Oh God, you are my God. Some of us may never have made that step where we admit we need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, where we've been trying to do things our own way and it hasn't worked. We failed to honour those first few commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, love your neighbour as yourself. I still mess that up. But that's what God's calling us to. And if you've never made that step, if you've never made that commitment, can I encourage you to talk to us? You may not make that commitment tonight. I, I just want to be available to explain the gospel to you and to challenge you to live a life for God. And then it says, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Is that true for you? Again, I get back to when we made that first commitment to Jesus. We call that justification, being put back into right relationship with God. 
And for many of us, that's as far as it's gone because no one's ever explained that there's this whole life that Jesus wants for us, a life of empowerment by Holy Spirit, a life of walking in faith, a life of drawing closer and closer to God. I never had anyone explain that to me in my Christian walk. It was much later in life that I learned that. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know what that's all about, if you don't know what it's like to live that sanctified life, come and talk to me. Let's pray about it. Let's ask that God will draw you closer. If you don't have a passion and hunger for God's word, which is what this is about, come and talk to me. Let's talk about how you can study God's word and learn more about digging into this and seeing what he has to say to you. If you can't engage in prayer, please come and talk to us. Let's, let's learn how to pray together. We, we've just come off the back of an awesome week of prayer. And uh, it was really encouraging for me to see people engage during those stations and things like that. And, I mean, we had over, what was it, 230 or 240 people, non-Christians, prayed for during that week of prayer. Absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I'm very, very thank you, thankful for that. And I suppose the bottom line is, do we want more of God? I do. I, I don't think I'll ever get to a stage where I'll say, you know what, enough God, I don't need to know you more. I want more of him. I want to be closer to him. I want to understand him more. I want to know what he wants me to do with my life. I want to know where he wants me to go tomorrow. And, and, and you know, he wants this relationship with us. He, he wants to explain his plans and purposes for us. So come and talk to us about that as well. And I suppose also, think about David on his bed and those things that were weighing in upon him. Do you have those things that concern you? Do you doubt the future? Do you have troubles resting sometimes? If that's you, I think God's calling you to come forward and pray about that as well. We need to know that satisfaction in God. Yesterday, today and forever. And I just want to challenge you. If God is laying something on your heart, don't walk out here without dealing with it. Come and speak to me close Christian friend, someone you trust. Let's pray together. Let's hear what God's saying. I'm going to close in prayer and then call the worship team up. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for this incredible psalm. I thank you that David just poured his heart out in it, Lord, and it speaks to us. I thank you, Lord, that there's a message contained for us. And Lord, I pray for everyone that is gathered here today that they got something from that. And Lord, my desire is that they perhaps go home and read it again tonight and encounter you, Lord. And more than anything, Lord, if you have spoken to people tonight, I pray they'll be willing to do something about that. Lord, maybe it's coming forward and speaking with me, speaking with a close Christian friend. Maybe it's just about going home and doing business with you on their knees. Lord, I just ask that people will respond. They won't ignore Holy Spirit's promptings but they will come and humble themselves before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.